oftentimes when people um, give a talk, a lecture, a presentation on a particular topic, they 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 want the audience to feel like they know what they're talking about. So they'll start with things like um, the fact that you know they're experts in the field. They've had this many years of experience. They've here are all my credentials uh, that would that would lead you to believe that I know what I'm talking about. And so when I when I talk to you that. I feel like um, I have no credentials in this topic, not because I don't do it, but because I know that I am just a beginner and uh, to be quite honest with you, and I have a long, long way to go. So this is one of those things that we're going to do together. Um, perhaps you feel the same way, perhaps you're a little more advanced and, and if so, I would gladly give you the floor and let you share your wisdom with us, but we're going to talk tonight about prayer. Prayer is uh, well, if there was anything that was so impressive uh, to the disciples about Jesus, it was probably his prayer life. And I say that because they don't come to Jesus very often and say, Lord, teach us to cast out demons. You see him trying to and not working, and they ask him, how come it's not working? And he says, well, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Um, and we'll talk about fasting uh, here shortly in the next couple of weeks, so... Stay tuned for that. But, but when they come to him, they don't ask, how do you cast out demons? How do you perform miracles? How do you make blind men see? How do you make dead guys rise up and live again? They don't ask him that. They don't ask him to show the particular details of, of how he uh, uh, preaches such eloquent sermons. They don't do that. They, they don't say, Lord, teach us to... Uh, teach us to feed 5,000 people with just a little bit of food. They don't, they don't do that. They come to him saying, Lord, teach us to pray. I think it's fascinating. Uh, if you're a student and you have a teacher, there's usually some things you want to learn from that teacher. Now, sometimes you're in the class because you have to be in the class, and you really don't want to be in the class, but, but they say you have to have the class to finish your degree, and so you take the class. But when you have the choice... You take a class or you take a certain teacher because you want to learn certain things from them especially. And these guys look at the life of Jesus and they look at his prayer life. And Luke actually tells us that he was praying in a certain place. Luke 12, uh, verse, uh, excuse me, Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, maybe it was because they expected that as Jesus' followers, they would have a special kind of prayer that other people wouldn't. John's disciples wouldn't have it. The disciples of the rabbis wouldn't have it. It would be something particular to them. Or maybe, maybe it was just that his prayer life was so rich and so powerful that they couldn't help themselves. They wanted to know how to have that kind of thing themselves. Maybe it was a combination of, of factors. But one of them says, you got to show us how to do that. We could take time and really parse out the Lord's Prayer. But today I want to kind of take a step back and just ask two questions. Number one, why do we pray? What are the purposes of prayer? And then number two, how do we pray? What are some of the practices that we can put into place? And then, of course, because this is not just... Uh, learning theory, 
We want to get to the praxis. We want to get to the application of it. We're going to spend some time in prayer. So very quickly, what are the purposes of prayer? If you look throughout Scripture, you can see numerous different uh, passages that talk about prayer. Uh, Jesus praying. He's, he's constantly, it seems like almost every time we see Jesus, he is either praying, he has just finished praying, or he's about to go pray. Uh, prayer is this constant way of life in Christ. And so I find a couple of things that Jesus does that show us some of the purposes of prayer. Three of them that I want to focus on because I think, and, and there might be more, and you might be able to say, well, I can find five or six other purposes, but I think a lot of them fall under these three, okay? So they're a specific example of one of these, all right? The first one we find is in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Jesus has, he's already going in Mark 1, man. Mark hits the ground running. There's no, bi- there's no baby stories of Jesus and Mark. When, Mark's, when Mark opens his gospel, Jesus is already a man on the move. He's already healing people. He's already casting out unclean spirits. And verse 35 tells us, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And then they, when they find him, they're like, we've been looking everywhere. Where have you been? And Jesus is saying, all right, it's time for us to move on to the other towns. You know, the whole reason I came. In fact, uh, let me read it for you. Verse 38, and he said to them, let us go on to the other towns, to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And then it says that he went all throughout Galilee, preaching and teaching in the synagogues, casting out demons. So the first purpose of prayer that I find from the life of Jesus is communion with God. Now, you might have missed that in there. There's nothing that says that Jesus went away in order to be alone with God. But we all know that's why he went away, right? Crowds are all around him. And when the crowds come back, when the disciples finally find him, he goes out back into the crowds. He moves on to another town, but he's still going around people. Jesus is living his life very frequently in the midst of great crowds. I mean, if you could heal and you had the authority speaking the way that Jesus spoke, you would have lots of crowds around you too. And so he has to get up early in the morning, no, very early in the morning, while it's still dark. And he's got to get away from town, find a desolate place to go pray. Why? Because if he is around people, they are consuming his attention. But he doesn't want to be consumed with people. He wants to commune with God. Sometimes it's easy for us to get caught up in everything that's going on and and we miss the fact that prayer isn't a time for us to bring all of our requests and dump them on God and then walk off. It's a time to commune, which means we must tarry long before the throne of grace. That's hard. There's a lot of stuff to do. There's appointments to keep, there's, there's jobs to work, there's all kinds of different chores to get done. Remember Martha? Mary and Martha. Mary's sitting by Jesus and she's just talking. And Martha's running around like crazy doing all kinds of housework, getting all kinds of food ready, doing all kinds of stuff. And, and Martha comes up to Jesus and says, aren't you going to make her help me? <laughs> and Jesus says, Martha, you're so concerned about all this stuff but you're forgetting the thing that matters most. Prayer is about communion with God. It's about taking time 
to just be one-on-one with him. How many of you have found in your marriage that the times when your marriage is most healthy are the times when you haven't seen each other for months? No. Now, some marriages work better that way. (laughs) Those aren't good marriages, though. In a good marriage, you got to spend time with each other. Same way with God. There's another thing I find. It's not just about communing with God. Prayer actually has an impact on us. Um, Luke chapter 22 gives us a good example of that. We're not going to be turning to very many passages, so go ahead and turn. I'm not going to make you like, you're not going to fan yourself with your Bible flipping back and forth tonight, okay? We're just, just targeting just a couple passages. And I would encourage you as you read to, when you get to one of those places about prayer, slow down and really pay close attention. But in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is, he has, well, he's just say, Peter, you're going to deny me. <laughs> Isn't that good news? And then he said, and then he says, um, he gives them this note about how, you know, I, I sent you out with nothing before, but now you need to take your stuff with you because in essence, you're going on my mission. Verse 39 begins, as he came out and went, as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and excuse me, and he came out and went, as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Now already we're seeing something interesting. This is a pattern, right? As was his custom. That's, That's a pattern. This is something he does regularly. Verse 40, and when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew with them from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. In another uh, gospel account, he says, For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think this brings a second point about prayer. Prayer not only is our means of communing with God, It's also the means that God uses for our personal transformation. Did you notice uh, when he prayed, he said, he said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Father, if you're willing, don't let this happen. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You know, Lord, I don't want to go through this, but this is your will. I'm willing to do it. That's a transformation in us. He's God. He kind of, he's, a, he's cheating, okay? He's God. He has this whole being, being Christ-like thing down because he is Christ, right? You can't get any more like Christ than Christ himself. But for us, that requires a transformation. And where is it that he finds the strength to do the work that he has to do? To bear the cup that he must bear? It's in prayer. That's where he's strengthened. Can I, can I make a duh observation? If Jesus is strengthened in prayer, 
we need prayer to be strengthened too. Not my will, but yours be done. Also, do you notice that he calls on them twice to pray? And both for the same reason. Pray that you not enter into temptation. You see, you need to be transformed, you disciples of mine. You, you, need, you need help to avoid the temptation in the first place. So pray. Let God transform you. Romans says, be, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, the primary vehicle for that is prayer. Third, prayer, prayer's purposes are communion with God, personal transformation. The last one is found back in Matthew chapter 6. So Luke 11 is Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 is Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer. And Matthew shows us the Lord's Prayer in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is preaching this sermon. Uh, and I got to be honest with you, I'm kind of jealous as a preacher because uh, he, is, he is really good at preaching. <laughs> if you study these three chapters, he is a really good preacher. In Matthew 6, he doesn't even, they don't even ask him teach us to pray. They're not even coming to him. He's just assuming they're going to be praying. He says, and when you pray, verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like those folks that they like to pray out in public and get all kinds of recognition for it. No, you go into your room, you shut the door, and you pray in secret. Why? Is it that prayers out in public don't work? No. Is it that we shouldn't pray corporately? No. It's because you need to avoid the trapping of recognition in prayer. Oh, look how great he prays. Look how fluent he is with God. Listen to how the words just sweetly flow off his tongue. Look how holy I am. I'm praying. Right? It's a temptation. And he says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Don't just repeat stuff just because you're supposed to. Boy, how many times do we find ourselves saying, Father, God, God, I thank you for this day, God. I thank you for everything you've given us, God. I find myself doing it all the time, saying the same things over and over and over again. I do it so much that Savannah has the prayer memorized that we pray every night, okay? When your five-year-old can say the prayer without you, you're probably using some repetition in there. Repetition isn't bad, but when that's all your prayer life is, that's bad. No, don't, don't heap up words. Don't just use vain repetition. Look, God already knows what you need. So instead, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the third purpose of prayer is the accomplishment of God's will. God has, for some reason, decided he doesn't want to do his will without people, his people, actively engaged in prayer for that will to happen. Now, sometimes he will, right? Sometimes he does, but often he doesn't. Often instead, he says, I'm going to wait for my folks. I'm going to stir their hearts, and I'm going to get them to pray for this, and I'm going to shape them in the process. That's personal transformation. They're going to walk closer with me and they're going to know my heart better so that they are praying what I really want to do. That's communion with God. And, and, and the, the result of these things is that I'm going to do my will. I'm, he's going to do it anyway. 
He wants to do it. He's going to do it. This is a means of involving his people in the process so that we are more like him and better glorify him. God could just do it. He has every right to. Instead, he says, I want to bring you folks along too. So those are, as best as I can determine from Scripture, the purposes of prayer. You might say, what about intercession? I think that falls under the accomplishment of God's will and communion with God. Because when we intercede for others, God is moving within our hearts to love them better. What about, um, what about guidance? Well, that falls a little bit under um, accomplishment of God's will too, doesn't it? Because if we just, I mean, if, if, if we're praying for God's will to be known so that we can follow it, yeah, he's, <laughs> it's going to get accomplished, isn't it? What about prayer for strength? In time of need, well, that's personal transformation. That's where God is turning us into the people that we need to be. Confession of sin. Well, that, that's all three of those, isn't it? Prayer has many important purposes. So what are its practices? In other words, we're going to ask God, Lord, teach us to pray. What kinds of things can we learn to do? Well, first, I know this is going to shock you. This is, this is probably going to be the greatest thing you have ever heard. The most amazing thing that you've never thought of before. But if you want to learn how to pray, you actually got to pray. Makes sense, right? Yeah. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Now, if you're like me and you feel like that's impossible sometimes, you're not alone. But that's learned. That's learned through a lifetime of discipline and trial and error and learning from God how to pray. In fact, Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf. When we don't even know what to pray, He is making sighings too deep for words. So the way you learn to pray is to pray. There's some other things you can do too that will help. Another thing you can do is read. Now, I mean that in a couple ways. One is to read your scripture. Jesus is master at praying. Read him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Read his words in John 17 when he is pouring out his heart for believers. Not only his disciples, but those who would come generations later, including us. Read the prayers of men and women of God. Several times I came across a passage in Genesis uh, uh, in my study of this. A couple of different authors refer back to Isaac. Do you remember what Isaac was doing when he first saw Rebecca, Of course you do, right? You know, because we, we always talk about that story in church. He goes out into the field to meditate. And I'm convinced he's meditating on God's will for his future. I'm convinced that he may even be meditating on a future family, asking God for the strength to be the man that he needs to be, praying that God will bring the right people into his home, praying for a good crop this year to support those that are working for him. He's communing with God when he meets his wife. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive to me. And for those of you who think, well, yeah, it just says meditating. It doesn't say praying. Well, those two often go hand in hand. And in fact, they should. In fact, you'll find sometimes that your, your prayer is so much more powerful while you're meditating on Scripture. Read. Read in the Bible, but, but don't just read in the Bible. If you can find any Puritan from about 1500 to about 1800, read as much of them as you can. 
One was named Matthew Henry. He wrote a commentary on the entire Bible, and it's six volumes. We've got it in the library. It's six huge volumes, not six volumes. It's six volumes, <laughs> okay? He, he had plenty of words on the Bible. So you get a Bible this big, and he's got this big of, <laughs> of commentary on it. He writes about... Um, Psalm 19, 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And he notes how this meditation and prayer go so well together. You read folks like Richard Baxter, John Owen, and before long you begin to realize that prayer isn't just something you do with your life. It is your life. When it's done right, prayer is like breathing. One commentator has said, and I, and I completely agree. When I am doing this right, I feel like I am breathing the very breath of God through my lungs. Makes me yearn to do it more often that way. Read. Read folks who pray. Read people's journals. David Brainerd, I believe, wrote a journal of his prayers. It's amazing the kinds of stuff you can find. Another practice of prayer. Act. Act it out. Not just praying. Act out what you're praying. God, help me go talk to that person about Jesus. Go talk to that person about Jesus. <laughs> I know that seems kind of funny, but what I'm saying is if you are praying that God would help you do something, go do it. Go try it. It doesn't go as well as you hoped. Okay. Come on back. What, what happened? Was I not quite obedient to what God wanted or, or was I obedient and... Maybe, maybe even, did you do it, fall flat on your face and then realize, you know, that really wasn't all that bad. I had that happen one time. And it was through prayer. Lunchroom full of people. I started praying out loud. And I was a little turtle in my shell. I did, you know, the fact, thought of praying in front of a couple hundred people just scared the wits out of me. And so I started praying and I messed up. I got my words all tangled up because that's what I do. Y'all have heard me do it during sermons before. Just, start, just randomly. We'll just start messing up words. In fact, I, I kind of keep going sometimes hoping that y'all won't even notice. In the middle of the prayer, I said, out loud, as loud as I was praying, blah, 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 blah. all right, let me start over. You know, it really wasn't that bad. My worst nightmare came to pass. I screwed up the prayer for lunch. All I had to do was say, God bless the food, amen. And I messed it up. And I learned that it wasn't nearly as bad as I was afraid it would be. Just do it. Act it out. Listen. Now, for those of you who are astute, you may have noticed pray, read, act. You may have been expecting a Y word. I tried. I couldn't find a Y word. Listen. Soren Kierkegaard was a Dutch theologian. He says this. A man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking. But he became more and more quiet until in the end he realized that prayer is listening. Richard Foster, although he writes in the book Celebration of Discipline, this is a great book, guys. He writes this. If we are still, we will learn not only who God is, but how his power operates. Listen. Take time to stop and listen. Because that's how relationships work. You both talk. Write. This is W-R-I-T-E, not R-I-G-H-T. Write. Write down what you're praying. Take notes. Maybe it's certain specific requests. 
Maybe there's certain wording that you pray and you realize as soon as you pray it, hey, wait, hey, I need to write that down. That's pretty good. Sometimes it's not just about what you pray. It's about how you're anguishing over that prayer. Maybe because you love that person and, and you so deeply want God to heal them or to work in them or to do whatever that you're asking God to do. That anguish just builds up in you. Write it down. Make note of that. Oh, when prayer gets answered, note that too. Write it down. You'll be amazed looking back to see how faithful God is. Even if the prayer seems small, you'll see a pattern of faithfulness with him. Imagine. This is one that you might not think of, but when you pray, I, I tell my kids this, I say when you pray to God, close your eyes and picture that he is right beside you and you're talking to him. One person tells the story of praying for a, a little girl who was sick. And she, uh, her four-year-old brother was in the room. He, had, he was a pastor that was uh, uh, called to, to pray over the little girl. And, and um, the four-year-old brother's in the room. And he turns to me and he says, hey, you, you want to help me pray for your sister? And, of course, four-year-olds are just like, yeah, I want to help. You know, I mean, that... It's a big deal for him. And so he walked him through this process of picturing Jesus sitting in the chair right there, just patiently waiting for us to talk to him about his sister. And he tells this little boy, so I, I want you to picture Jesus, get up. And we're going we're gonna to get up to here. We're going to get up with him. And we're all going to walk by the bed together. And we're going to put our hands right, right on your sister, just like this. He puts his hand and the, the boy puts his hand on, on his sister and he says, I want you to imagine Jesus is here putting his hand on top of our hands, okay? And I want you to picture that like there's this glowing light around Jesus and that light goes down through his hands onto your sister. And I want you to just think about Jesus fighting off all the bad germs in her body. You see what he's doing? He's imagining. But wouldn't you know it? This whole time that he's thinking about all this, you know what that boy's really doing? He's praying. He's trusting that God really will heal his sister. The author says he, he doesn't know the details. All he knows is that the next day that sister was feeling better. We're not, you know, medically not quite sure what was going on, but we all know what was going on, don't we? Now, is it because that kind of prayer is just so much more powerful? No. See, we get this idea that we need tons and tons and tons of faith, but we don't. All you need is just a tiny little faith. All it takes is a mustard seed of faith for the mountain to move. The question is, what are you putting it in? See, because that's where the power is. Last one, and then we'll pray. And that's care. Care. I would take one person who cares for me deeply, praying for me earnestly, over 10,000 people who don't care for me at all, praying any kind of way. Care. I think about Abraham. It's a good example of this. Sodom and Gomorrah are about to be destroyed. And Abraham says, wait, 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 just a minute, God. You're not going to destroy the righteous along with the wicked. What, what, if you found 50 righteous people in the city, would you destroy it? Or would you, would you spare it just for those 50? God says, I'd spare it for the 50. He says, if, if I may, what if you only found 45? What if it just lacked five of that 50? Would you still destroy it over a lack of five? No, I would not destroy it. 
What, what, if, what if there were only 40? What about 35? Lord, please don't get angry with me. But what if there were only 20, 10? You know what's amazing? There's no indication that Abraham really cared about two people in that town before that prayer started. And here he is interceding on behalf of the city, working God down, begging God to show mercy. In fact, some of the prophets, God has to say, stop praying for them. I'm going to destroy them. Stop praying for them. You see, when we care, we're emulating God's concern. Sometimes, sometimes if we're honest, we tell people we care. We tell people we'll pray. And we might mean that we really do intend to pray. And then we just don't get that concerned. So really care. Watch God do some great things. All right. With these in mind, let's pray. What we're going to do is just take a few minutes to pray silently. There are things that are going on in your lives that only you know about. There may be some health issues. There may be someone that you know is struggling through very difficult circumstances. It might be not health-related at all. It might be just spiritual. It might be someone that just has a hard heart toward God. It might be a new life with a promise And you want God to protect that little one and care for them and and nurture them up to love him. Whatever it is, whatever that pressing concern on your heart is, I want you to spend some time in prayer. And then tonight when you get home, try some of these things. Try some of these practices. Pray, read, act, listen, write, imagine, care. You can do some of them here. Do some of them tonight when you get home. Join Christ in the school of prayer. The curriculum is very, very simple, but it's very, very complex at the same time. It takes a lifetime to master, but it's well worth the effort. In just a few minutes, I'll close this out. But for now, let's pray silently. Father, as we come before you this evening, I pray that this time that we spend with you will do your work in us. Accomplish your will transform us to your image help us to commune with you there are some things that we're struggling with for each of us they may be different but in every single circumstance you are the god we need you to be there are some things that we see happening in people around us and though there may be a wide variety of symptoms we know you are the cure for the disease of sin We know you are the answer for the questions people are asking. We know you are the solution to the problems all around us. So, Father, may we not be proud and arrogant to think that we can handle it. May we not be ignorant or laissez-faire in our spirituality. May we not be cold and aloof to people who need you, our neighbors, our family and father through prayer through earnest prayers of faith persistent constant laboring in prayer may we see your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven thank you for everything you are shape us to be more like you for your praise and glory and for the glory of your only begotten son we ask these things Amen.